continue our Membership Matters class. And uh, last week, or actually two weeks ago now, we answered the question, where did we come from? And this week we want to answer the questions, why are we here and why join a church? Why are we here and why join a church? Um, so, obviously some of you are members and some are not, but, but uh, even if you are a member, you ought to know why it's important that you are a member of a church. And so we want to talk about that here from a biblical perspective. So let me, uh, let me ask you to turn, turn to Romans chapter 11. And we'll get to this passage here in just a second. Romans chapter 11. And let's pray and we'll begin. Father, cause us as a church to rise up and, and uh, fulfill the mission to which You have called us, which is to make disciples um, of the people that You have entrusted to us and of all nations by reaching out to them, to this world of darkness, uh, with the Gospel that we love and that we want them to love as well. And we pray that You would help us to see our, our place within this church and within the the overall picture of Your eternal reign. And we pray that You would help us to submit ourselves to You in that way. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, in order for us to find out why we are here, we need to find out where we're going as a church body. So when you're reading through the New Testament, there are various references that are made to the church. Various images that, that you'll find that are used to describe the church. I'll give you one example. The church is described as or, or illustrated as a building. That, that we are uh, the temple of God. That, that within us resides the, the very work of God. So, so we have a building. Can you think of any other images that are used to describe the local church in the New Testament? Okay, The church is the body of Christ. We're going to talk about that one in more detail. Um, when we get to the Apostle Paul here. What else? At least two others. What was it? Okay, the Bride of Christ. Good. So you have, um, you have the Bride of Christ. We could, we could say that, that the church is the family of God. Um, in First uh, Timothy 3.15, Ephesians 1.5, we are God's children in that way. And then the, the last image is a flock, that we are all flocks. So a building, a body, a flock, and a family. But in all these things, we have to ask, if we are Christians, then what should our relationship to the church be if the, these images are used to describe it? So, if, if we are Christians, what should our relationship to the church be? If, if we are a brick and the church is the building, then what part does the brick play within the building? It doesn't do any good, right, to just sit off on the side and do nothing. It needs to be a part of the building. If we are members of the physical body and the church is the body, then what, is, what are the members supposed to do? Right? They're, they're supposed to function according to the, the responsibilities that they have, according to the, the purpose that they have. And uh, Paul talks about that in, um, in Romans 4, uh, 12 and also Hebrews 12. That, that you know, We each have different functions, but, but um, we, all, we all are... And we all have to be used for the sake of the body. If we are sheep and the church is the flock, then, then we as sheep are not properly fitting if we're outside of the flock. We need to be a part of the flock. And if the church is a family and we are all God's children, then it makes sense that we're a part of that family. In other words, all these images that are used to describe the local church of Jesus Christ... Um, assumes that Christians are a part of it. It assumes that, that there is a corporate aspect to the church. Now, church membership seems like an unusual topic, doesn't it? Perhaps for a number of reasons. Many times we just don't think about church membership. Maybe we just take it for granted. Maybe we spend a lot of time looking around at other churches and maybe we don't really see the value of church membership. Um, but I think one of the main reasons that we don't think about church membership is because we live in a consumeristic culture. And I don't have to convince you of that. 
that, that our culture is very consumer-driven, that we're brought up to think that, that we need to have it our way, that, that, the, um, that, that things need to be made to order, you know, based on how I want them. And so, you know, if I don't like how, you know, McDonald's is, is making my food over here, well, then I can just go to Burger King, you know, in, in either direction. And, or I could just go to another McDonald's that will make sure that they get my food the right way. And so all, all, of the, uh, all of the good companies, I guess you could say, they cater to that sort of thinking, don't they? I mean, Burger King's model for a, or motto for a while was have it your way, right? You, you make your sandwich your way, we'll make sure it happens. Subway, so, same sort of thing. You, you create your own uh, delicious sandwich, and you don't have to just choose from one thing that we offer. And, and, and all businesses work toward that sort of idea. The customer is number one. We're going to, to, to uh, treat you how you want to be treated. And I'm afraid that that sort, that sort of I, thinking has spilled over into how we view the church. And, um, and I'm afraid that, that many church leaders are pushing consumerism as well. You have guys like Rick Warren who's um, following in the, the step, footsteps of of, of another guy, consumer-type driven guy. I'm trying to remember his name right now. I can't remember off the top of my head. But but Bill Heibel, or I'm sorry, um, uh, Rick Warren, basically, when he uh, started Saddleback, decided he would go out into the neighborhoods and start asking the people what they wanted in a church. So let's just take surveys and find out what people want. Okay, do you want you want a you want a, a coffee shop in the church? You know, you want you want uh, um, kind of a more casual dress, then we'll make sure we do that. Oh, you want secular songs? Then we'll, we'll make sure we have secular songs in there. So you feel comfortable. We want you to feel comfortable. It's all about you. You want shorter sermons? You want ones that are, are uh, based on your felt needs? Then, then we'll do that. Bill Heibel is the same thing at, uh, in Chicago. And uh, the result has been that the, the individual has now seen that the church is all about them rather than the church being about Christ. And so I think that we need to join a church, either this one or another one, that preaches the Bible where we are not consumers, where we come to the church thinking, I need to provide for the church. I need to see what I can do today to provide for the church. And that's why you have these commands like in Hebrews 10 that say, you know, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but, but um, make sure that you provoke one another to love and good works. Too many times I think we walk away from church thinking, you know, I, I, I didn't really enjoy that service. Or I really enjoyed the, the service today. I really liked the music. I really liked that song. I really liked that preaching. Or I really didn't like it. And it's all about me. And, and instead, when we walk away, we should be thinking, you know, how, how was God honored in the service today? Because this, this church is ultimately about God. And secondly, it's about the congregation as a whole, not about me primarily. You see, when we come to church, we are not consumers. And I can, I can assure you that I am not going to tailor the church to meet the needs of the individual consumer. I won't do that. I will, however, look to Scripture to see what is here and assume that, it, that as long as we are staying biblical, then we will have our needs met. Um, so that doesn't mean that we can't discuss discuss differences. It doesn't mean we can't have conversations about what should be included in a church. Uh, that doesn't mean that, that we can't make changes when we see things that are out of line with the scripture. But what it does what what it does mean is that, that it's not about the individual and what they want in a church service. It's about what the scriptures say and what God wants in a church service. And so uh, so I think we don't think about church membership. Uh, because we have become so consumeristic. We don't want to attach ourselves or, or really shackle ourselves to one place because it, it requires on our part a commitment. And we have to say, yes, I, I understand there are no perfect churches out there, but, but there is a church that, that I agree with the statement of faith, I agree with the church covenant, and I'm just going to commit myself to them. And, and I think that that is biblical. Uh, when God speaks of Christians living on the earth in Revelation 2 and 3, He sees them as existing in local churches. Remember, now that's, 
when you think Revelation, you're thinking future. But that's actually, he's talking about present churches at his time, which I think are representative of all churches. And what you find in those churches is that, that it is against Scripture to be a Lone Ranger type of Christian. That is, a person who just gets saved and then he just goes out and does his own thing. Listens to sermons on the internet, you know, does his own Bible studies type thing. He never attaches himself to a local church. I think that that is against what the Scriptures actually teach. So, so because we don't think about it enough, I think we need to consider it more. Why is it important for us to join a church? Why is it, why, why is it that we are here? Any questions or comments so far? Yeah. All right, Romans 11:36. <clears throat> what is the purpose of all things? So let's, let's we want to answer the question, what is the purpose of us? What why is it that we are here? So let's step back and just take the biggest purpose for all things. Will someone read the last verse there in verse in chapter 11? Okay, so Paul's he's working through the great gospel of Jesus Christ that we've been working through on Sunday mornings as well. And he finishes his section on the doctrine of the gospel in chapters 1 through 11. And he comes to the end and he says, Oh, in verse 35, Oh, the depths of the riches of the glory of God, the mercies of God, to, uh, um, that, that his, his wisdom and his, his knowledge, his, his ways are unfathomable. And then he finishes in verse 36. Um, actually, that was verse 33. But verse 36, for from Him and through Him. So he's talking about God here. So, so from God and through God and to God belong all things. The reason that all things exist is for the glory of God. This is what uh, Tim Schmig was talking about last week in the New England Primer. That's the very first question they ask in their catechism. If you remember, it was, um, why do we exist? Right? We exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Okay, that's, the, that's the reason every single thing exists. So you could ask, why does a plant exist? Why does a dog exist? Why does a bird exist? Why does everything exist? It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, obviously, we have a greater, greater capacity to do that because we're made in His image. But, but that is the purpose for all things, is to magnify God's greatness. Now, turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. If God is the source of all things, Romans 11.36, and He's the purpose for all things, then we should not be surprised that all of history is going to culminate in God being glorified. And that's what we see here in Ephesians 1, and specifically through, through an individual person. Would someone read verses 9 and 10, Ephesians 1? The in him at the end there, she goes verse eleven. Uh, it's kind of, kind of just hanging out there. But, um, but verse ten is what we want to focus on. That that the, uh, the fullness of times, the summing up of all things, is in Christ. Things in heaven and things in earth. We kind of picture that scene when when all knees, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And um, so that means that if the purpose of all things is to glorify God, then here we see that, that Christ will reign as King forever, that the summing up of all things is Christ. And so if that's the case, how does the church fit in? What is the purpose of the church? Turn over to chapter 3. What is the purpose of the church? Now here in chapters 1-3, through Paul's talking about the church, and he's talking specifically in chapter 3 about how Jews and Gentiles can come together, which is very uh, unusual abnormal for Jews and Gentiles to come together in such a way, and yet they do have the same standing in God. And in the end, at the end of chapter 3, having talked about the church, he says, Now to him, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Some people think that the purpose of the church is to be a welfare organization 
Other people think it's supposed to be an entertainment venue. You know, this is the consumer type idea. Still others think that it should be just a social club. But, but what does the Bible teach that the purpose of the church is? Here in, in verses 20 and 21, it tells us that, that to, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. It is to bring glory to Christ. Okay, so that's the, the big kind of purpose that we have. It is to bring glory to Christ. It is to magnify the greatness of Christ. And how do we do that? We do that in five primary ways on the second page of your handout. Number one, we praise the God of truth. We praise the God of truth. John 4.24 um, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth, Jesus says to the woman at the well. We must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we start by praising the God. If, if our purpose in the end is to exalt Christ and His greatness, then we should not be surprised that right now our job is to praise the God of truth. Now, we do that a lot of ways. We do that through singing, of course, but we also do that through preaching and giving and serving and so on. So it's kind of a general statement of, of how we bring glory to Christ. We praise the God of truth. Secondly, we protect the truth. We protect the truth. Can I have two volunteers to look up a passage? Bill, 1 Timothy 3.15 and Bob, Titus 1.9. Praise the God of truth and then protect the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. Listen carefully to who is the pillar and support of the truth. We'll wait for you. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou might behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Okay, so Christ is the pillar and support of the truth. The pastor is the pillar and support of the truth. No, it says the household of God, which is the church of God, which is the pillar and support of truth. So it is the church as a whole that protects the truth. That is, we as a whole have a responsibility to guard its doctrine. That's why we're going to take... Um, let me see, when we do this, next week? No, two... Um, yes, next week, what do we believe? We're going to look at our statement of faith. We want to make sure that, that we as a whole agree to what the Scriptures say in this summarized form. Titus 1.9 Okay, so here he's talking about the the um, qualifications of a pastor and overseer, and that is that he ought to be able to teach sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So, so yes, the congregation has a charge to protect the truth, but the the pastor obviously leads in that. And 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 yet, what we understand is that every believer should be part of a local church so that he or she can rightly handle the word of truth. Right, Second Timothy two fifteen. If you grew up in Iwana, you know that verse. Um, that that um, uh, that we should study to show ourselves approved, a workman unto God, which which needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we are to to rightly handle. Every believer is to be able to handle the word of truth, and we do that within the context of a local church. Number three, we proclaim the truth. So we praise the God of truth. We protect the truth, and then number three, we proclaim the truth. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, the same you ought to teach to others also so that they can faithfully hand them down to others. And, and so you have this, this, uh, you have this process or this, this flow that happens where you have it from Paul to Timothy, the things which you have heard from me, Paul says to Timothy, so from Paul to Timothy, same things you teach to faithful men. So you have Paul, Timothy, faithful men, so that they can teach others also. So you have four generations of Paul saying, listen, you know, we, we need to proclaim the truth, not just so that, that it helps us, right? Sometimes we think, man, you know, I, I, I love this sermon. It's really helpful for me. But, but what are you going to do with that? Yes, you should apply it to your life, but how can you also help, help pass that down to the next generation? And part of that is through proclamation. That we need to proclaim the truth. Obviously, this at the most basic level that happens at evangelism, but then at a, a deeper level it happens at discipleship, which is our primary task or our, our main overall task. Not to minimize evangelism, but but our our task is not just evangelism, but to disciple 
believers. Number four, we practice the truth. We practice the truth. That is, we use what we know about the Scriptures to serve the body of Christ. We don't just take it and hide it. You know, we have these resources and we just bury it because we're afraid that the Master uh, might be upset if we, if we misuse them or lose them. No, no, we, we invest them into ourselves and into other people. We practice the truth. And, and specifically, it is as we serve the body of Christ. And Ephesians 4 is talking about that He gave some pastors and some evangelists and some pastors' teachers um, for the work of the ministry to, to, to the building up of the body of Christ. He has, he has a job to help edify the body as a whole, the pastor does, and, and the purpose of that is so that they can serve the body, that he and they can serve the body together. So we practice the truth by serving one another. And then number five, we, we progress. We progress in the truth. We, we learn about the Scriptures. We cultivate unity in the body. We maintain purity of the church. You know, we, we start to see as we understand the Scriptures more, we start to see where we have gone wrong, where we are going wrong, where we're starting to head off in a wrong direction. We need to get corrected. That's what the Scriptures help us to do. It helps us to keep on the, the right path. And, and, and membership provides accountability for each believer's for each believer in the pursuit of spiritual growth. You know, you can try all you want to, to, to learn what you can about the Scriptures, but if you're not a part of a local church, you're not being, being held accountable to other believers who know you, who can know you, and who can hold you accountable for what you are suggesting. It's, that's, that's the nature of, of um, a life as a Christian, is that we can easily be deceived about our own selves. And we need to be in a body of people who, in a church of people who love us and who can hold us accountable. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. You're not going to find them in the New Testament. Okay? Uh, every believer, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they are baptized and added to the church. That's talking about church membership. It's just assumed. Paul doesn't even have a category for Christians who aren't members of a church. Because Christians, by their very nature, they want to be a part of what God is doing within a local body. And um, so we, we praise the God of truth. We, what's the second one? we protect the truth, we proclaim the truth, we practice the truth, and we progress in the truth. Alright, so we've got to finish this section up here and then I'll take questions. So what is the purpose of the, truth, the, the church? Did you notice the one word that was common in all of those ways in which we glorify Christ in the church. What's the one common word? It's truth. Okay, so the purpose of the church is to... Here's, we can make it a little bit... Uh, we can put a little bit more detail in it now. We were saying before it's to bring glory to Christ. Now we want to give it a little bit more. To bring glory to Christ through the ministry of the truth or the Word, Right? And it's just not just truth, abstract truth, 2 plus 2 is 4. Yeah, that is true. But what we're talking about primarily is the ministry of the Word. So what we do is we try to make the Word the center of everything that we do. So it should be the center of our preaching. We don't just do, um, you know, just have ideas of what we want to talk about and then we, we talk about them for 45 minutes. Okay? Instead, we, we look at what the Scriptures say. God, what are You telling to us? What does this mean? What does it mean for them? And now, how do we apply it to our lives? We want to make the Word the center of what we do. But we also want to make it the center of what we do with regard to how we practice, how we do things around here. We want to make it based on what the Scriptures say. And um, so that, that requires for us to know the truth and to, to, to use wisdom to, as to how to apply it. Alright, any questions on that? What's the purpose of the church? Why are we here? All right, good. Let's move on to five reasons to join a church. So you may or may not be a member, but, but this is, these are some reasons why you should be a member of a church. Number one, join the church for non-Christians. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Join a church for non-Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
And would someone read verses 1 through 5? All right, so first we need to recognize what's going on here. Paul is talking to whom? Believers in Corinth. He's talking to the congregation, the church. Not just believers out there. Okay, just all the believers that make up the city of Corinth. No, he's talking about a specific church that's made up of believers in Corinth. And he's saying there's immorality going on within your church. And, and specifically a kind that's not even mentioned among pagans. That a, that a man is sleeping with his father's wife. And, and you, the church, you body, you congregation have become arrogant, verse 2, and you have not mourned instead, and you have not removed Him from your midst. That's talking about church discipline, removing Him from the congregation. From the congregation. One of the reasons that we join a church is for non-Christians. We want, to, we want to be there to help you understand what it truly is like to be a Christian. I'm sure that the man in 1 Corinthians 5 thought of himself as a Christian, Right? Maybe he even went to church regularly. I mean, apparently everybody knows him. And I'm sure he he did all the things a person would do in that community. And that's exactly why Paul says, you need to get rid of him. I've already done it on my part. In my mind, he's gone. He's handed over to the kingdom of Satan. but, But you need to now take action, congregation, so that you can make clear to him that that is not how a Christian lives. That is what a non Christian does that he commits those kinds of sins and he does not repent. And that is the most loving thing that you can do to, for that man. And so one reason why we need to join the church is because the Gospel is made clear. It, it defines and makes visible who Christians are and who non-Christians are. It shows us who's on the inside and who's on the outside. One of the most important result, results of joining a Christians is that of joining a church, excuse me, is that non-Christians will be able to see, oh, I'm calling myself a Christian, but I'm not living like one because this church has seen this sin and it's removing me. And now it's put me on the outside of it by authority from Christ, from the Word. And now I'm on the outside and that should say something. That should scare a person. That, that should ver- very much concern a person if he's truly a Christian. That's exactly what Paul wanted to do. He wanted this man to be restored ultimately, but, but because he would not repent, he said you need to remove him so that he understands the weight of his sin and that he recognizes that that's not what Christians do. And, and if he continued in that, did not repent, then he would, he, would, um, he would show himself to never have believed. But it's also for... We, we, we make these kinds of choices because we want to make it clear to the outside world Right? You have, let's say this guy, is, his name is Fred. Okay? And Fred is this immoral person. And he's living out in the world. And they know what's going on. You know, that kind of news spreads quickly at work and in the community. And what do other people think about Fred? You know, Fred, he's a, he's a, a member of Corinthian Baptist Church. Right? And, and uh, so he must be okay. Spiritually. Because he goes to that church, he's a member of that church, they accept him as a member of that church. And yet he's continuing in this sin. What does that say to the watching world about the purity of Jesus Christ and His bride? That He's, he's purifying a bride for Himself. Right? So, so not only when, when we join a church, we show who's on the inside and who's on the outside, but we also show... We do that for the sake of non-Christians so that they know what a Christian looks like, but we also do it for those who are watching so that they can see the, the, the true purity of Christ. So what do we do? What's the solution? We call people to repent and believe. 
we call people to repent and believe. That's, that's what it is. It's, you need to repent of your sins and turn to Christ. Believe in Him, who He said He is. And um, so one of the reasons that we want to join the church is we want to make clear the Gospel. And we want to make, make it clear uh, for the sake of non-Christians so that they see what the true Gospel is. Secondly, we join a church for weaker Christians. For weaker Christians. I'm sure you all know someone who is who calls himself a Christian and who may very well be, but has been badly wounded by the American church, by some church they were a part of, and and particularly about the consumer mentality that, that they expect to be a part of every church. And so as a result, because they've been wounded, they take it upon themselves to be their own shepherd, right? Wandering around, managing their own spiritual portfolio, and they are alone, apart from a church for months or even years. But all Christians are to be a part of a church where there is baptism, where there is the Lord's Supper, where there is the Word of God being preached, where there are people that they can respect spiritually, that they can uh, uh, submit themselves to, Hebrews 13, 17. That's a normal way to be a Christian. In other words, a person that's not a part of a local church can't take the Lord's Supper as they're commanded to do in 1 Corinthians 11, right? They can't uh, they can't obey the command in Hebrews 10 that says to not forsake the assembling of themselves together, but but such as the manner it, uh, as the day is approaching, do it even more so. Okay, they, they can't obey the command to obey your spiritual leaders. Who are their spiritual leaders when they're just out there? I mean, is that who, who is that? So so every Christian needs to be a part of a local church, and so. Um, I'm not saying that membership is essential for Christianity any more than I'm saying that being at home is essential to be married. Right? You could have a husband who's married to his wife. He's got the ring. He's made it official. He's got the marriage certificate. But he doesn't even live with his wife. Right? He lives far away. He doesn't spend any time. He doesn't talk with her. He has no interest in her. So can he still be married and, and, and not be at home? Technically, yes. But he's starting to call into question his commitment to his wife, isn't he? He's starting to call into question whether he is really serious about that relationship, isn't he? And that's exactly the same thing for a person who's not a member of a local church. Yes, he can be a Christian if he's not a member of a church. But he is calling into question his very loyalty to God Himself. Because that needs to happen. And, and you should want to do that for the sake of weaker Christians. You should, you should join the church so that you can dry up the market of the people who think, you know what, it is socially acceptable for me to be out there and to be my own shepherd. You know, I've got all sorts of resources on the Internet. I can listen to sermons. I can even give to various charitable organizations. And I can fulfill all of those requirements. We, want, we should want to dry up that market and, and say, listen, this is where it is. This is where it ought to be. We should want to be telling other people, hey, come into the fold. Come into a local church. Join yourself to a local body or otherwise stop calling yourself a Christian. Unfortunately, the current situation in which we live is, is one in which people see the church as just an added option, a gym membership type thing. It's nice to have. There's some benefits to it, but as soon as it stops being beneficial to me, I'm removing my membership. There's a pastor who uh, spoke with a friend uh, who had been attending his church. And he asked him, you know, I noticed that you kind of just come in a few minutes after, you know, a few minutes before the sermon starts. And you don't interact with anybody as soon as the sermon's over, you leave. Why is that? Why don't you come earlier? Why don't you stay for the whole service? Why don't you stick around and talk with people? And he says, well, I, I don't really get anything out of that. And the pastor said, well, why don't you join the church? And his response was, well, I don't see any benefit to joining the church. You see, if I joined and linked arms with this church or any other church, I'm scared that they would slow me down spiritually. See, this man was a very earnest Christian. He was involved in Bible studies. And this is a true story. Involved in Bible studies, personal evangelism, 
And he, he took joy from hearing God's Word preached. But the church to him just seemed like a, a needless peripheral, peripheral thing. And the pastor said, well, did you ever think that, yes, when you joined the church, that it could actually slow you down? Or, or that, that, it, that it could slow you down? But, but what would happen if you did join the church? Perhaps God designed it for you to help speed others up. You know, the church is not ultimately about your individual, uh, your individual accolades as far as your Christianity. You know, I can spend 16.2 more minutes in my devotions if I'm not a member of a church because those 16.2 minutes per week would otherwise be used on phone calls or having to deal with some of these other people and their problems. It's not ultimately about your individual statistics. You know, perhaps God is more concerned about something larger and grander than just you. And so you ought to join the church for weaker Christians who, who may need to be sped up a little bit, who, who need your personal um, encouragement and, and discipleship. So it ought to be something that we should, should be a part of. Number three, I would encourage you to join a church for stronger Christians. Stronger Christians. How would we define a strong Christian? Does the strong Christian mean that, that they have a solid orthodoxy and that they have a regular Bible study and that they know some of the, the ancient biblical or, or, or first century church authors or early church authors? There, there may be a lot of things that we would use to describe a strong Christian, but I would suggest that if we don't have included in that definition of what a strong Christian is, if we don't have included in that a committed member of a local church, then I think we're off base. John 13 says, Jesus says, the new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. It seems like the kind of love that we as Christians should have for each other is a fundamental part of God's plan of evangelizing the world. Here's how the world will know that you are my disciples when you show love for one another. And John says again here, uh, this is another writing of John actually, 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If anyone loves himself yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, when it's talking about brother there, it's not talking about our individual brother, primarily. It's talking about believers. That's usually how the word is used within the Scriptures, particularly the New Testament. It's talking about believers. And um, so what he's saying is, if you, if you hate another believer within the local body... Then, then how can you say that you love God? In other words, your love for God, your strength as a Christian is partially expressed or partially displayed in the way that you show love for other people within this congregation, within whichever congregation you are a member. And so we join for stronger Christians. We want to display the love that Christ has shown to us. We have been forgiven Right, an ocean. We, we've just been poured out an ocean of grace. We've received an ocean of forgiveness. We're happy to give a, a little small cup of forgiveness to our, our brother. No matter how, how terrible the offense is, it's nothing in comparison to what we did to Christ. And so, if you think of yourself as a strong Christian and you get really excited to listen to Christian music or read a Christian book or, or go to a good preaching conference, but you can't be committed to a group of people who are different from you with all their faults and shortcomings and that the only thing that you have in common with, they, with, with them is, is, it, is your love for Jesus Christ. If you can't be committed to them, then I think your thinking is off base when it comes to God's plan for your life as a Christian. Because the more that we know about Christ and what He's done for us, the more that we uh, want to display that or, or share that with others. That's what the local church is all about. It's about seeing and experiencing and showing the love that we have received from Christ. 
And it needs to happen within the context of a local body. So the third reason, join a church for stronger Christians. Number four, this is just a practical one. Join a church for church members. Join a church for church members. If you're not a member of this church, we as church members may not pray for you regularly by name. Members of this church are those who have been saved and who have been baptized. And as we'll see next week, we we make it our goal to exalt the Word of God and edify the people of God. And one way that members edify one another, one, one way that we encourage one another is we pray for each other. And I encourage us to do this. That you pray for one another on a weekly basis, if not more. And so, you know, um, what I encourage you is to just take the church directory and pray through that. Pray, pray through the people that are members of the church that 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 are specifically. It doesn't mean you can't pray for anybody beyond that. It's not what I'm saying. And uh, you know, we're going to stick it to them by not praying for them. That's not the point. Okay, but but. Practically speaking, members love members. Okay, we have a specific responsibility. We should do good to all people. Okay, so let's think, think about that in terms of prayer. We should pray for all people in, in one sense, but especially those who are of the household of faith. So there is a good that we can do to people outside this body, but we have a special love and a special care, a special responsibility to the people that have committed themselves to this body. And then finally, join a church for God. Join a church for God. It's interesting when you look through Acts as to how the Lord adds people to the number of people who are saved. He adds them to a some kind of a list. And being added is the idea of, of joining the church. It is that these people are identifying themselves with the church. That is, they are saved. They believe the Word that was preached to them by the apostles and then they are baptized, and then they are added. They join a list, a, a, a membership group, a, a church. And so they identify themselves with this body. And do you know who identifies them, himself with a body? With, with a local body? Consider Paul or, or Saul excuse me, in Acts 9.4. Saul is on the road to Damascus, and he has this vision of the risen Christ. It just stops him in his tracks. Christ appears to him and Saul falls to the ground. Do you remember what Jesus says to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? No. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting other believers? No, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wait a second. Saul could say, I didn't do anything to you. Right? I was doing that to believers. But what Jesus is saying is, Saul, I so identify with believers in a local body that when you persecute them, you persecute me. Right? Christ identifies Himself with the local church. And that's why I think Paul got the image of the church being the body of Christ. His first Christian conversation had that in, had, had that in it. That I am this congregation. I, I, and this, I am with them. The church is the body of Christ bought with His blood. I don't know how you've thought, come to think about the local church, but I know in the New Testament the church is regarded, the local church is regarded as the body of Christ, a local expression of the body of Christ that is bought by God's own blood. So let me just leave you with um, four commitments that I... I would like to encourage us about four commitments. Number one, attend regularly. Attend regularly. What if the church were only open when you attended? Okay, don't answer that out loud. What if the church were only open when you attended? How many times a week would we not have a service? How many times a month would we not have a service? How many, how many weeks would we just have to go without even... I understand there are things that we are gone for sicknesses. It's not my point. But your, if your general pattern were the general pattern of every single person in the church, how many times would we close the door because there would no, be nobody here? And so we stress regular attendance. 
Listen to D.A. Carson. He says, a little gospel is a dangerous thing. You know, if you just have a little bit of it. It gets people to think well of themselves, to sigh with relief at the worst evils that have been dissipated, right? Because I have a little gospel. But if a person is not truly justified, regenerated, and transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear Son, that little dollop of religion may serve as a little more than an inoculation against the real thing. He's saying, you know, we can take in just a little bit of gospel. You know, I, I, I like it. It's helpful. It, it keeps me from the big evils. And what we need is the whole gospel is what Carson is saying. E.M. Bound says, of these two evils, perhaps little praying is worse than no praying. Little praying is worse than no praying, he says. Little praying is a kind of make-believe, a salve for the conscience, a farce and a delusion. And I think he's right. And I would even modify that statement and say, a little church attendance may be worse than not attending at all. Because it gives us that little spark of, you know, I'm doing it. I'm doing enough. Because, hey, I attended church. Yeah, it wasn't every time. I wasn't fully committed. I was kind of partially committed. But but I think we can deceive ourselves. So we attend, we, we we recommend and and uh, call people to commit to regular attendance. Secondly, we, we, um, I recommend punctuality. I realize you may be preaching to the choir, but, but do you just slip in the mor- into the morning service at 11.10 because, you know, oh, well, I got up late. Isn't it good that a lot of other people don't do that? Isn't it good that the whole church doesn't do that? Because otherwise there wouldn't be anybody to have your coffee ready, have some snacks available for you, and be there to greet you when you come and have all the lights on and the heat going and all that. See, that's because brothers and sisters in this church consider themselves providers. They want to be here so that they can do what they can to make sure that it's, in some uh, senses, comfortable for people who are walking in, that it's a welcoming place, and that's a good thing. Number three, we stress uh, the attitude of a provider, not a consumer. Okay, that doesn't mean you can't consume. It doesn't mean that you can't come to church and get any benefit out of it. Man, I, I shouldn't have enjoyed that service. I should have just spent myself completely. I must have done something wrong. But, but not primarily a consumer. We are primarily a provider. And, and a helpful question to ask yourself, just as you think about this this week, is what would happen if Ambassador Baptist Church, what would happen to our church if, every single member contributed the same amount of energy and resources as you do? What would our church be like? What, what would our church be like if, if, we, if every member talked about the church like we talk about the church? Would it, would it be an inviting place to be? Would it be a, a, a place that people would want to come to? Or is it just, oh, this and that? What if everybody talked about the church like... I talked about the church. It's a good question to consider. And as providers, we want to, to commit ourselves to the body. And so we, we try to do that in very practical ways. And one of those ways, as I mentioned earlier, is just to pray through the church directory. Number four, um, understand that church membership is not essential for salvation. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm harping on church membership, and I am very strong with regard to church membership, you'll see about why that is in two weeks because it's a, the most important tenet of the Baptist faith or probably one of. Okay, it, it goes right in line with the authority of the Scripture. It's critical to our understanding of who we are as Baptists. So I'm, I'm harping on it pretty hard today, but, but I don't think it's essential for salvation. I want you to understand that. As, as, as fallen human beings, people this side of Adam we can deceive ourselves, can't we? And do you know the main way that we deal with self-deception in the Scripture is in the New Testament? It's called joining a local church. That's how we deal with self-deception. The church is kind of like an assurance of salvation co-op. It's a community of people where we get to know them and we allow them to get to know us. And that's how we see whether or not we're living out Christianity. 1 Corinthians 5, remember? 
We, get to, we allow them to get to know us. And we've also already committed ourselves to them in the sense that, hey, if I'm going off stray, you let me know. That's what we do when we join the church. Right? When we don't join the church, if you get into sin, we can approach you on your sin. Right? We can take one or two with us. But if you still fail to repent, what do we do after that? We can't take it to the church, can we? You're not a part of our church. You see? So when we join the church, we automatically say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm joining myself to this body and I'm making myself accountable to this body. Watch my life. Guard over my soul. Right? And that's part of the responsibility of each one of us as members. And it's my responsibility as your pastor as well. Any questions on church membership? Any comments? Bill? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Christ. So you have these factions in there. All right. So any other thoughts or questions? Sorry, I went a little long today, but I, um, I I commend to you church membership by Jonathan Lehman. The deacons and I went through it last year. I think it was last year, and it found it to be very helpful. Little book, blue book, small. We like small books, don't we? It was actually a book of the month a while ago, um, but you can still get it online. You don't have to wait for it to be offered by us as a church. So maybe you have the book. I would encourage you to read it. If you don't have the book, order it. It's $10, I think. So you would do well to do that. And if you don't have the money to do that, I'm happy to lend my, any of my books out that I'm not using. So just come see me. Yes? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately it's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. But yeah, we I mean I think the spirit works through individuals and people who are concerned about their souls and saying, "Listen, the best thing for you is to to commit yourself to salvation in Jesus Christ, right? To to repent and believe. That's the best thing for you." And then following that, you need to join a church by being baptized. So so we, we just keep keep encouraging them, keep pushing them that way, and, and obviously that requires wisdom, right? Because we there are times when people just will completely shut us off, and and I um, so that's a big question that I, I unfortunately I don't I don't really have all the answers to, and can't give a a really succinct answer either. So all right, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this church and for people who for. Um, decades have been committed to church membership and to um, glorifying Christ through this body. And we pray that we would, for generations to come, do the same thing. In Jesus' name, amen.